tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Am I live? Let me take my pulse. <laughs> I, I'm live. Yes, yes, I have a pulse. I'm live. Uh, I have an alternate voice in my head today, young Thomas. So <laughs> when he's 80, we'll still be calling me young Thomas. Right now he is young, but he'll catch up. Oh, boy. All that said, let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us, by that same spirit, to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, all right, all right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. Oh, boy. Well, this is going to be complicated, but you're used to that. All right. Today's reading, Isaiah, the 35th chapter, the first verse to the 10th. The desert and the parched land will exult. The steppe will rejoice and bloom. And then he goes down and, and uh, uh, um, the end of the passage, uh, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf be cleared, the lame will leap like a stag, and the tongue of the mute will sing. Then he goes on, streams will burst forth in the desert and rivers in the steppe. Well, what's going on here? This, those four lines, the eyes of the blind, he come, with divine recompense, he comes to save you. The, then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf be cleared. That sounds like Jesus' healing ministry. And uh, um, <clears throat> again, I want to talk about the nature of miracles. We don't we don't understand the nature of miracles. And today's uh, today's uh, gospel. Well, let's jump to the gospel. Um, oh, this is going to be really complicated. This is the story of the man. Um, a uh, paralyzed man on the stretcher whom they lowered through the roof. This is the version in Luke, and Jesus forgives his sins. Um, but the most interesting line in this, now, now take a deep breath, because I don't know if you ever noticed this line. Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was with him for healing. I thought Jesus was God, the Son of God. 
Wasn't the power of God always with him or the power of the Lord always with him for healing? No, it was not. Have you not noticed that verse in, oh, I'll have to find it. Uh, the verse in, um, uh, uh, which gospel? He was able to work. No. See, I should have looked this up. Miracles there. Okay. I will have it in just a moment. But this this line always amazes people. Come on. Himmel. Himmel here. God, well, it's not there yet. Um, I will. I, I will. Uh, I, this is important. So bear with me. No, we don't need the music. I'm almost there. All right. Ah, Mark 6, 5. Now, Matthew says he did not do many miracles there, but Mark 6, 5 is very blunt. He could not do any miracles there in his hometown. This is in Nazareth. Verse 4, Mark, this is Mark 6, 4. Look it up, you don't believe me. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives and his own household, as a prop without honor. So he could not, and the word is to be able. He was unable to perform any miracles there, except to lay his hands on a few of the sick and heal them. Now, Matthew kind of softens it up by pointing, well, he did work some miracles. He healed people. Matthew, it's he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Jesus could not work a miracle? He couldn't work miracles at will? No. Now, take a deep breath. I believe with all my heart and soul that Jesus is the Son of God, a divine person who has a fully human and a fully divine nature. And his human nature is the, is the sinless nature of Adam before the fall. So don't anybody say, I, I didn't say Jesus was God. He is most certainly God, the Son of God. He is a constituent member of the relationship with this, which is God. We don't worship three gods. We worship one God. But the oneness of God is not a solitude, but a solidarity. The question is not, uh, uh, is, there, is there one God? There is only one God. Our question, the question that we believe Jesus answered is, what is the nature of God? God is love. And if you believe the revelation that Jesus gave us, that God is sacrificial love, then the Trinity makes perfect sense because who's God going to love? Well, he loves us. Yeah, that would mean we were constituent of the, of the reality of God, and we're not. God within himself has perfect diversity, three persons, and perfect unity, one God. We couldn't pull it off. He can so the nature, it's a question of the nature of the oneness of God. We believe, because Jesus taught us this, that God is sacrificial love, agape. And thus, the Trinity is the, is the perfect expression of diversity and oneness at the same time. We do not worship three gods. We worship one God. But Jesus is constituent. The, he is the second person of that relationship. So... Why couldn't he work miracles in Nazareth? And why why does the reading today say something odd, like <sighs> the power of the Lord was with him to heal? Because you see, if you read Philippians, the second chapter, you will read uh, that though he was in the form of God, he did not deem equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and was obedient even unto death. In other words, 
Jesus took the rights and privileges of his divinity and as if laid them as if a garment on the heavenly throne and became one like us in all things but sin. Jesus did not know anything except what the Father was pleased to tell him. He chose not to know anything except what the Father was pleased to tell him. He could not work any miracles except the miracles that the Father told him to work. That's different. You see, we just think Jesus could wave his magic wand and everything would happen. No, he was absolutely obedient to the Father in his knowledge and in his power. But if he was God, he was all-powerful. No, he had all power. God is love. He has power. God is love. He has knowledge. He isn't knowledge. He isn't will. He isn't power. He has those things. And Jesus, in an act of total self-giving for love of us, laid his, his rights and privileges, shall we call them, of divinity on the heavenly throne. That's the amazing thing that because of, well, let's go back to the gospel. Uh, because of the lack of trust, you know, he says, he says uh, to the blind man or to the lame man, rather, uh, uh, your sins are forgiven when he saw their faith. Remember, I'm always telling you the word faith means trust. We read in the letter of the Hebrews, without trust, that is without faith, it is impossible to please God. We can limit God. You, this is how humble God is. You can limit God by your lack of trust. To think that Jesus could not, I I say this all the time, Jesus could not lift his hand from the wood of the cross to swipe the flies from his face. If we, if he is who we believe him to be, and I believe him to be, the very hand of God that set the stars to spinning, that hand couldn't lift itself from the wood of the cross to swipe the flies from his face. He allowed sinful men to nail his hand to the cross. He couldn't move it. I don't know any other religion that has a humble God. We worship a God who is humble for the sake of love because he is love. Now, okay, what's going on in the first reading then? Well, God can do anything he wants, you know. He can work a miracle. If God really loved me, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have this ingrown toenail. I'm being a little facetious there. I know people face serious, horrible illnesses and wonder why does God not work in their life? God is working in your life. Let's understand miracles. I, I, the best way I can uh, explain miracles is by talking about Eucharistic miracles. The, the, you can deny any miracle. You can figure a way. I, I am particularly intrigued by Eucharistic miracles, uh, miracles like the, the miracle of Buenos Aires, which so many people, even in Buenos Aires, play down. But it's, it's truly amazing that... that um, I spoke to a gentleman, I think his name was Ron Soriero, who uh, I believe he hand-delivered the uh, specimen of, of, you know, it was a host that had been discarded, and they, they stored it as appropriately, and 
in the sanctuary in the sacristy and water you know it should have dissolved in a couple of days it didn't it didn't dissolve for years it turned into what appeared to be a piece of bloody flesh they tested it and uh it turned out to be heart tissue uh, from the left i believe from the left ventricle and i think mr Tesoriero is one of the people who hand delivered this to uh to a pathologist in the U.S. to confirm the findings of the Argentinian pathologist, one of whom was an atheist, Dr. Castagnon, who is now a devout Catholic, but um, confirmed it was it was heart tissue. And of course, the pathologist was was beside himself, I guess, with with awe when he found out how it had started as what appeared as a piece of bread uh, before the consecration. Well. Oh, there has to be a fraud there. There has to be some slate of hand. They must have substituted something. That that's, that's a fake. You can deny any miracle. Look at Judas. He saw the miracles of Christ and said, oh, it's all just crowd hysteria. I'm getting out of this mess. You know, that, that you can deny any miracle. Miracles don't make faith. Faith makes miracles. Now, miracles can strengthen our faith. But if you decide, I'm not going to believe this, well... You can do it. You can say, oh, there's fraud, there's collusion, there's something. So what good is a miracle? And miracles don't work. I mean, you know, you get two people, one gets healed and one doesn't. What's the sense of that? You can't take it to the bank, though people try. (laughs) What's the sense of a miracle? Miracles are a speaking of God. In a Eucharistic miracle, whenever they test it, invariably it is heart tissue. When you go to Holy Communion, you're not just, not just, I dare to use that word. You're not just receiving the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, Son of God, Son of Mary. You are receiving the sacred heart. The heart of God's heart is being put into your keeping, into your hands, your sinful hands, my sinful hands. That's what the miracle is about. It's a prophetic word from God that that says a great truth. And the miracles that are talked about, that are prophesied in Isaiah, well, they haven't all come to pass. The desert isn't flowing with streams. It will. We have a down payment. That's what Scripture calls it. I forget the Greek word for down payment. They talk about faith in in Hebrews, I think the 11th chapter. Faith is the down payment of of what will be. Streams will birth forth forth in the desert. There will be a marsh. And a high will be there, and, and, and no fools will go astray on it. No lion will be there, no beast of prey. Things are going to get better. Well, how do we know that? Because he's given us the down payment. When Jesus came, he didn't heal everyone, but he healed. He comes to save you with divine recompense. The eyes of the blind are open. The ears of the deaf are clear. Then the lame will leap like a stag, and the tongue of the mute will sing. Jews believe in two messiahs, and so do we. We just think of the same Jewish guy. Jews believed at the time of Christ, the Essenes believed in a, in a Davidic Messiah who would be political and prepare the way for the priestly Messiah who would be descended of Aaron. Jesus is apparently descended from Aaron and from David because our Blessed Mother was related to Elizabeth, who was uh, from the tribe of, of Levi. And of course, she was related uh, she was related. Look it up in Eusebius uh, Caesarea's history. She was related to Joseph, who was from the tribe of David. So in the person of Jesus, the, the priestly tribe and the kingly tribe are united. And the, well, in the person of our Blessed Mother. Uh, so uh, the, the, the two messiahs, there will be a messiah, uh, David, they believed, and a messiah of Aaron. Now there's another more... more uh, uh, 
common belief that goes back to the time of Christ, and it's in the Talmud, that Jesus, or rather the Messiah, the Messiah, the glorious conquering son of David, will be preceded by the the Messiah, son of Joseph, whose job will be to gather uh, the exiles in. And, you know, the gathering in of Israel is not the state of Israel. And I'm not getting political with this. It may be part of it. It may be part of the ingathering of the tribe of Judah. But remember, Judah is one of 12 tribes. The 12 tribes of Israel are gathered in in the church. The church is the ingathering of Israel. Jesus establishing the church fulfilled a messianic promise and prepares for the glorious Messiah, son of David at the end of time, who he also will be. Now, what does this have to do with anything? The purpose of miracles is to hint at the future, to prophesy the future. And, and you know, I, I think that, that, that we don't understand them. That, that we just think, oh, miracles are this arbitrary thing, and if God really likes me, he'll, he'll heal me. And, and the Lord is always healing you. It's just, what is, what is the Lord saying? You know, when we're in difficult situation, you know, when I'm in difficult situation, I say, oh, Lord, heal me. So yes, I'm preaching to the choir here, believe me. I'm, I'm, I'm just listing my own sins and failings here. But what should I say in, instead of, Lord, heal me? So, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? Speak, Lord, your servant listens. The prayer of the, of the pagan is do what I want. And it's not a bad prayer to pray. But the prayer of the believer, the true Christian, is, Lord, teach me your ways. Miracles are about the ways of the Lord. Teach me your ways, O Lord. I'm your servant. I'm your slave. Teach me your ways that I can obey you. you know, that, that when we are ill or when we have a difficult situation, Lord, teach me your ways. We put ourselves in the hand of God because he puts himself in our hands. I mean, miracles are a prophetic word that draws closer to the Lord. Speak, Lord, your servant listens. At least that's my opinion. All right, let's move on. We're going to take a break. We'll come back with letters if I can get my computer on again. All right. Oh, 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Call in and play Stump the Reverend Know-It-All. A much easier game to win than you would think. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash forester. A Illinois Life Insurance Society not available in all states. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. Same old place that you laughed about. Well, the names have all changed since you hung around, but those dreams have remained and they've turned around. Well, I just want to remind you about our carols of comfort and joy. It's really a wonderful way to pray a prayer for Christmas. And I think today, are we featuring O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which is like from the 8th century, like from the 700s or the 9th century, which would be the 800s? It's 
Oh, no, today's good King Wenceslaus. I thought it was O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Oh, well, I, was that yesterday? I don't know. I don't know what day it is. I barely know what month it is. Oh, dear. Uh, stay young. That's all I can tell you, Thomas. Um, moving along here. Yeah, it's good King Wenceslaus, who actually was a king. Well, I, I may have been, that depends who you talk to. You may have been a duke, but go, go. Listen to the song. It's beautiful. All right. That said, let us now go to, uh, where are we going to? Oh, the phones are open at 888-914-9149. But right now we're going to letters. This is from Mark. Genesis twenty-eight twelve speaks of Jacob having a dream of a ladder. How does this verse correspond to Jesus in John one fifty-one? And what lesson can we learn from this? And he said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, <laughs> Jesus is speaking King James English here, I say unto you, hereafter ye shall see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Well, Genesis 28.12 talks about Jacob's dream in which he was in, I think it was Bethel, and uh, which means the house of God. And uh, uh, he is uh, has a dream in which he sees angels ascending and descending from uh from the heavens on a ladder let me look that up genesis it's genesis genesis uh 28 click the button and it will come up yes genesis 28 and uh he's fleeing from his brother uh and and um he reached a certain spot, taking one of the stones, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Heck of a pillow. He had a dream which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top. A stairway and ladder were the same exact thing. I think it's the same word in Hebrew. Um, reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Um, and uh, he said, I'm the Lord of your, your God. Your descendants uh, will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west and the east, to the north and south. All peoples will be blessed through you and your offspring. Well, so far, so good. Um, surely uh, the Lord is in this place, Jacob said when he woke up. How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. So it's Bethel. So Jesus says to Nathaniel in, in uh, uh, John, the first chapter, 51st verse, uh, you know, Nathaniel is under the fig tree, and uh, there's an old story that Nathaniel was one of the children to be killed by. Now, this is told in the Eastern Church; it's not in the Bible. But he was one of the children who would have been killed in Bethlehem, but he was hidden behind a fig tree uh, and was was spared. And when Jesus said, "Behold, I saw you behind the fig tree," that's why he he really said, "Wow, you must be God." Um, and Jesus says, you think that's something? Well, verily, verily, I say to you, hereafter you shall see the heavens open, the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And I think that word in Greek is epi. Jesus is saying, you know that ladder that Jacob saw? I'm the ladder. They will go up and down upon me. Think about it. They're not just coming down on his head. They're climbing up and down the ladder, which is Christ. In other words, Jacob saw a ladder, and the ladder was Christ. That's how I read that passage. So I hope that helps just a little bit. Okay, let's see here. All right, let me let me move up. All right. 
Where'd I go? I got lots of letters, and somehow my computer just always mixes things up. Let's see. <laughs> blame the blame the messenger. Okay. Okay. I I got a lot of letters ready, and now they're all piggledy piggledy. All right, all right. There we go, Beth. I had a gazillion letters ready. Oh, you know, I should move into another. Uh, and most of these are kind of okay. This is one. This is one. Okay. Oh, by the way, I wanted to mention that this is. Uh, the phones are open at 888-914-9149. And remember, it is that that's a free, toll-free line, and it's sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. So when they when they knock on your door, pay attention. They do good stuff for us. Okay, I have a question about the sacrament of confession. A Baptist friend told me that confess your sins to one another does not mean to go to confession with a priest. She said that Jesus has already forgiven our sins, and when we accept him as our Savior, we need to confess to one another by apologizing for the wrongs we have done to the people we have sinned against and make a restitution if necessary, but we do not need to keep confessing to God because all sins of mankind were forgiven on the cross with the death of Jesus. How can I answer this? Well, you're welcome to think that, dear friend, but but the early Christians didn't. Uh, they, you You could go to the Eucharist, which they celebrated at least every Sunday, some places more often. You could only go to the Eucharist if you were in good standing with the Lord and with the community. And your sin damaged the community as well as the Lord. And if you committed a serious sin, such as idolatry, murder, major theft, uh, uh, adultery, if you committed one of those major sins, what we would today call mortal sins, sins unto the death that the Bible talks about, you could no longer attend the liturgy. And... Uh, what you had to do was go to the bishop and ask for forgiveness. And then you confessed your sin before the entire congregation. You did a public penance. Penance wasn't to get the sin forgiven. Jesus forgave the sin on the cross. She's right about that. But public, but penance restored what sin had trampled down. Penance is a kind of discipline in which we learn, in which we, in which we, we don't make up for sin. Jesus did that on the cross, but Penance reestablishes uh, um, what has been torn down by sin. That's the idea, and I participate in that. You see, I can say, oh, I believe, I believe, I believe. Well, what are you doing? Well, nothing. Don't tell me what you believe. I can see what you believe by what you do. And public penance, and it was a public penance. Everybody in the community knew what you'd done. And you wouldn't be let back into church for at least months, sometimes years. Uh, because they didn't, they didn't want weak links in the body. Because the Romans could take advantage of that, the, the the authorities. So, my point is that she's decided that you just have to make up if you've hurt anybody's feelings or stolen anything. You just have to make up for that. You know, that's what you're supposed to do. That's not what the early Christians believed. The early Christians believed um, in the sacrament of penance. And, uh, of course, we know better because we're modern. And, and uh, you know, 2,000 years later, we know better than people who were just a century or two later. So if she studies any history at all, she will find the Catholic Church. She will not find uh, the less formal churches of the modern era. So that's all I can tell you, that, that we have believed these things since the time of Christ. 
and the interpretation that we have is consistent. All right, let's see. Somebody's asking, I uh, wonder how and when you started your show on Relevant Radio. So I recall you were still a parish priest, not retired. It must have been challenging planning and putting on the show. Oh, yes, the extensive planning I do. Um, <laughs> That's why I say um all the time. You know, I don't know how I started on Relevant Radio. Uh, Chuck Neff called and asked me if I wanted to be on this on the spiritual uh, a spiritual director on the inner life, and I said, "Sure, why not?" You know, it was once every now and then, and then Father Rocky called and said, "You want to be one of three um, for a show called Go Ask Your Father," and then he said, "You want a show?" So it sort of. <laughs> They turned up the heat slowly. I, I have no idea how it was that I came to be on Relevant Radio, but boy, I am glad that I am because it is so much fun and it's such a privilege to do it and to spend these these days with you uh, thinking about this. Okay, this is, uh, you know, I, I mean, this keeps my poor brain going. Well, offer the gift that Moses commanded. This is from John. What does that mean, the gift that Moses command. You know, when he healed the lepers, he said, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a prophet to the people, for a proof to the people. Well, that is kind of interesting because uh, uh, the, the gift that Moses commanded was two turtle doves and actually some, some hyssop wood and some scarlet, scarlet uh, yarn. I don't know what the scarlet yarn and the hyssop were. The hyssop was for, they used it to sprinkle, uh, uh, holy water or the blood of offerings, that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> it cleansed me with hyssop, scripture says elsewhere, but two turtle doves for the poor man. And, uh, that was the, that was the gift. The word in Greek is doron, which can mean a gift or an offering. And well, that's a gift. Yeah. We talk about the gifts, bring up the gifts, meaning the bread and wine that would be offered to the Lord. These are gifts that we give to the Lord that he first gave to us. So it's like a kid who, uh, wants to give mommy a bottle of, uh, expensive French perfume, like Nuit de Wee, <laughs> something like that. Uh, you know, the stuff that comes in gallon buckets. And uh, mom puts it away and says, I'll use it for very special occasions. So uh, the uh, um, the dad gave, gave him the money to buy the, the awful perfume. So, uh, you know, we can give God nothing that he has given us first, but we, we give gifts to the Lord from what he's given us. So that's the idea. It was just two turtle doves, some hyssop, and some scarlet thread, if I recall properly. All right, let's see here. Let me hit that button and see where we go from there. All right. What time we got? Oh, we, we should take a break. I'll... I'll uh, we should break. I'll come back with a word of the day, which is a difficult word of the day. It's, it's kind of weird. We'll be back. 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. There are still plenty of lines open. Join Father Rocky and Drew for the Family Rosary Across America on the eve of the Guadalupe Feast at 7 p.m. Central this Monday, December 11th, live from the Shrine of Christ's Passion in St. John, Indiana, with hot chocolate, a drone light show, and fireworks. Can't make it in person? Watch it all live at relevantradio.com slash rosary. I'm going to sit at the welcome table. 
that's that's the welcome table. That is the banqueting table of the Lord in heaven in this song. It isn't the table where they give you your name tag when you get to heaven. Trust me on that. All right, moving along here. Let us now go to the word of the day. Uh, Take a deep breath. I don't know if you're going to like this. In the first reading, it says, Be strong, fear not. Here is your God. He comes with vindication, with divine recompense. He comes to save you. That all sounds lovely. Well, let's look at the words. He comes with vindication. He comes with vindication. That's not, that's nakam. That's not vindication. That's vengeance. What? Behold, your God will come with vengeance. And at nakam, that, look it up. It means vengeance. And then he will come with gamol, which means recompense. He's going to pay you back. But what that word really means, it's from the word uh, gamal, which means uh, to, I believe it means to, to ripen. And I think we can understand vengeance if we understand that, that he comes with vindication, which really in Hebrew is vengeance. Nakam, and he will save you with, with, uh, 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 with recompense. Well, it really means with a ripening. What you do will ripen. The seeds you plant in this life, you will reap, either in this life or in the life to come. And if you are an unforgiving, unkind, vengeful person, that's what you reap. It will ripen. The seeds you plant will ripen. So let's let, let's look at the at the Reverend Know It All translation of this text. This is Isaiah, the thirty fifth chapter. About oh, it's about the uh, fifth verse. Here is your God. He comes with revenge, and with ripeness, with ripening, he comes to save you. That's fascinating because he he will bring about what has been planted. You can't get away from it. You know, that question about, I don't have to confess my sins to a priest. Jesus forgave him on the cross so I can just go my merry way sinning because they're all forgiven. No, you can't. Confession, sacramental confession, reminds me that I am a sinner in constant need of repentance. Jesus forgave all my sins on the cross so I can do whatever I want, and I'm still going to heaven because I'm saved. Good luck with that. (laughs) Good luck with that. I hope you're right. Boy, do I hope you're right, but I don't think you are if you say that. The purpose of confession is not, you know, the word confession means to agree. To agree with what? God's judgment that I'm a sinner. And if I go, if I say, I'm forgiven, I can do whatever I want, you're not agreeing with God's judgment. The sacrament of penance is a constant reminder that I am a sinner in need of repentance, and God has got to change me, and I have to cooperate with his grace. It's all grace. We agree about that. But I can refuse to cooperate with his grace. Unless I'm changed, I'm going to reap what I've sown. God will come with vengeance and he will bring a ripening of what I have planted. And he will do that in his mercy while I'm still in this world that I might repent, but he will do it if I don't accept that repentance in this world. 
He will do it after the, the opportunity for repentance is gone. So I am so grateful. Oh, I'm going to talk more about... No, let's go to phone calls. I'll talk more about that another day. Let's go to phone calls. Yellow. Sammy, what can I do for you from Stockton, California? Hello? Hello, Simon? Yes. What can I do for you? Yes. Uh, I was calling because uh, I noticed every time uh, I go to church... Uh, People take the host and then they, they walk out, you know, they don't wait for the, uh, for the blessing of the priest or anything. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, what, what's your take on well, that? I, I, I just, well, it's very important that you get out of the parking lot first. That's why people are doing it. They don't want to get in the traffic jam in the parking lot. And of course I'll give my entire life to Jesus, but five more minutes having to be polite in the parking lot line. I don't think so. Yeah, you know, you're right, Sammy. It's, it's a joke that the first person to leave a mass early was Judas. He left the Last Supper early. So, no, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, what you, what you should do, uh, if you're really smart and you want to avoid the traffic jam in the parking lot, stay 10 extra minutes because <laughs> in church making a Thanksgiving, sit in the pew and thank Jesus for communion because the, the the blessed sacrament is physically with you for about 10 minutes. He's spiritually with you eternally. But physically, after you've taken the host, that blessed sacrament is in you physically for about 10 minutes mm-hmm. at least. So stay for a few minutes after Mass. You'll avoid the parking lot, and you'll spend some nice time with Jesus and just enjoying his presence. But just what do I think about it? I just remember the first person to leave a Mass early was Judas. Does that answer your question, Sammy? Yes, sir. <laughs> there you well, go. Man. There you yeah. go. It's an old line, yeah. but it's a true one. God bless you. And thanks for yeah. listening. Let's go to Pete from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yeah, you betcha. Uh, you Father, betcha. Heck of a deal. <laughs> yeah. Go on. I speak I, Minnesotan a little bit, but move. <laughs> go on. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Um, so we're created in the image and likeness of yes. God. Well, what makes that so? And then are the angels also created in the image and likeness of God? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, In a sense, it's a matter of degree. The scripture says in the letter to the Hebrews, quoting the Psalms, to which of the angels has he ever said, you are my son this day I have begotten you? Of course, that's specifically referring to Jesus. But we are able to be the sons and daughters of God in a way that angels are not. So they are made in the image of God in that they are rational and loving beings. But we are uniquely able to be configured to the image of God. That's why the scripture says, do you not know that you will judge the angels? Angels are going to come to you for advice in heaven. God willing, you and I both make it. So I think it's a matter of degree. There's a divine image reflected in the angels, but the angels... I don't believe that the angels are invited into the same relationship to God that we are. Our destiny is not simply to go to heaven. It's to become part of that family, which is God. You know, I'm not good on angels because, because uh, you know, I, I, they are such a different order of being than we are. But they're very real. I mean, I, I really believe I've run into angels. And, and in moments of my life when I really need an angel, I've never had a vision. I've never had a vision in my life. But there were times when I thought if I turned real quickly, I would see an angel because I was just in a difficult way. But angels do not reflect the nature of God 
in the full way that we are able to with grace. That's, I think that's true. If I'm wrong, and there's a good theologian around, I would like to know. Uh, um, but the position of human beings relative to angels, I mean, angels are these glorious beings. Now, the angels we're thinking about are the angels who have passed the test, who accepted, accepted right. God's perfect plan. Uh, um, but, but still, when we are in glory, we will outshine the angels. The scripture is pretty clear about that, that they will come to us for good counsel, for judgment. That's amazing. So, so, so it's kind of a, a, a backward functioning because Jesus became a man that somehow elevates us? Um, no, we were elevated from the beginning, and we threw away that that possibility. We threw away that wonderful offer that God made, and he loved us so much that he made it again through Christ. He offered Adam and Eve perfection, and they said, nah, we're busy. Uh, you know, we're hungry. We're going to eat that, 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 uh, you know, I heard somebody once say that, you know, apples, apples are good for you. It was probably a hamburger tree, but I, I jest, but, uh, no, we're busy. We're hungry. We're going to have a nosh. We'll get back to you. They, they did not accept their, you know, when you think about it, our blessed mother, people say, well, the Immaculate Conception is in the Bible. It most certainly is. Adam and Eve were conceived without the effects of original sin, albeit they were conceived in the mind of God. But they, they came into being without the effects of original sin, and they did not accept their immaculate conception. Our Blessed Mother did. She accepted the responsibility and the suffering of immaculate conception. Uh, you know, a sword would pierce her heart. Um, so, and of course, Jesus would have been the fourth person conceived without the effects of original sin. So, you know, Adam and Eve, when they were created, were splendid as our Blessed Mother is. And, you know, you look at the Blessed Mother, immaculately conceived, she corresponded with the grace of God in her immaculate conception, and she is more glorious than the angels. And we, by cooperating with the grace of God, we, our nature is to be what she is. That's why we're so big on the Blessed Mother. I mean, you know, it's hard to think of me ever being more radiant than an angel. I'm not so radiant, especially before 10 in the morning and a few cups of coffee. Uh, but, but someday I'm going to shine in glory if I correspond, if I receive the grace of God. Of course, I'll, until the last breath, I'm capable of, of sin. But uh, if, I, if I accept and respond to the grace of God, you know, the Blessed Mother is my model as she is yours. So I think that's an important thing to think. Uh, she is more glorious than the angels. And that's hard to think about me, but God can do it. That's his perfect plan. Does that help a little? Uh, perfect answer. Thanks, Father. Appreciate it. Well, God bless. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm honored that you'll listen. Okay. Thanks. Who we got now? It's good to talk to you. God bless. All right. Let's go to Mary Ellen from, uh, from Nashua, New Hampshire. Is that it? Wow. Nashua. <laughs> Nashua, New Hampshire. Hi, Father. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, Father, it's just wonderful to speak with you. Um, when you were Vice praying versa. the Go on. With us one night, you, you yes. mentioned how, how you know, St. Joseph had to bring the baby in. Women aren't allowed. Yeah. Then, I got to call my new rabbi, Rabbi Lazowski, Rabbi Lefkowitz, <laughs> may he rest in peace. But I got to call him and ask him. But, yeah, that would make sense that, that you know, this yes, is the but, firstborn son. Go on. But then when did Simeon and Anna meet up with Our Lady if she wasn't allowed in the temple? 
Now you have to realize the temple was a, a series of of not concentric but sort of diminishing boxes. You had the great plaza in which anybody could go. Greeks, Romans, anybody. They sold they, apparently that's where they sold cattle for sacrifices and you know it just it was a big expanse. Then there was a sacred district that only Israelites could go into and men and women could go in that. It was cut off by a low wall. And then there was the shrine, which there was a court, the court of Israel. Women could go in that. It was it was uh, enclosed, uh, sort of an enclosed courtyard around the temple that actually some parts of it were roofed. It was called the court of the women or the court of Israel. Then there was uh, the, these huge bronze gates up some steps, the, the gates of Nicanor. I think they were gates of Nicanor. Uh, they were huge bronze gates. It took 20 people to open and close them. And inside that was the court of men. Now, women could go up on the roof and look into the court of men to see what's going on. You know, they're in the temple structure. But then there was the court of men, and there was, I don't know if there was a, a low wall there. I don't think so, but there were definitely steps up, and only Levites, people from the tribe of Levi, could go there. And then there was the shrine or the holy place. And then past that was the holy of holies into which only the high priest could go once a year. So, in the in the structure of the temple, uh, women could go, but just not into the court of the men, and not into the court of the Levites, and not into the holy place, and not into the holy of holies. You follow? So our blessed mother was looking at what went on, but you know the firstborn son had to be bought back. Uh, um, I can't think of the word in Hebrew, but uh, the firstborn son had to be bought back because he belonged to the Lord since since the slaughter of of the Egyptian firstborn. God had spared the firstborn of Israel, thus they belonged to him. And you bought them back with an offering. And for the poor person, it was two turtle doves. So Joseph would have to brought the turtle doves and, and the baby, I think, into that inner inner court uh, to give to, uh, 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 to, give to uh, one of the priests. Uh, and as, as Joseph would have come out and then Mary would have come down from from the viewing gallery, and they would have walked through the court of Israel, and there they could have met Simeon and Anna. Does that explain? Okay. Perfectly. Yeah, yeah it you. wasn't. There you go. And, you know, one of the things that was going on, well, that's not fair that women can go into the inner inner part of the temple. It was a protective thing, that the power of God was fearsome. And, and it was a matter, you know, we don't think that, that women need to be protected, but there are just times when women do need to be protected, uh, especially in pregnancy and in their vulnerability and in, in, in the giving of life. And and I think that was part of the symbol that there was, you know, God God could be scary. <laughs> so uh, women, stay back here. I'll go talk to the Lord for us. I think that was the idea. It wasn't that women were not treasured, but but. That it was a matter of the protection. So, at any rate, well, thanks for calling, Mary Ellen. I hope that answers your question. Let's go to William from Salt Lake City. William, what can I do for you? Father, thank you so very much. Uh, as Santa Claus, I visit a lot of different children's hospitals in California, Utah, and Wyoming. And mm-hmm. as I'm going from room to room visiting these different children, I once in a while will encounter a child that says, oh, I'm Jewish, so I I really can't see you or talk to you. And I always reply back with, oh, 
Jewish children are my friends. Your parents are my friends. Um, I've had it happen once with a child that was a Mendenite. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm looking for an answer to uh, make that seem, you know, more friendly and less inclusive, as it were. Yes, yes. Well, what I would say to a kid like that, well, really, Santa Claus is St. Nicholas, who was a, who was a, 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 a Greek man who loved the God of Israel. And and so don't don't worry about it. Just know that that I love I love Israel's God, and and uh, and uh, the God of Israel loves us all, and and have a wonderful Hanukkah. That's what I would say to them. You knocked it out of the ballpark. That's perfect. That's exactly what I was looking for. Was to be able to share something like that. Well, there you go. So very, very much. Yeah, I I really am. I'm really playing the part of a Christian saint, and he loved the God of Israel, and so do I. That's where I'd go with it. All right, God bless. Speaking of going places, don't go anywhere, because, well, you know, Drew is coming up, and he loves the God of Israel, too.